In the guide for the service today, uh, as it relates to the last song that we just sang, uh, I got to do a little bit of a write-up about it. And when I knew that Haley had selected this as one of the songs for today, I was immediately brought back uh, to ninth grade Sarah. Um, this song wasn't out then. It's not, I'm not that young and it's not that old. Um, but it reminded me of the play that I read in ninth grade by Tennessee Williams, The Glass Menagerie. Anyone seen or read that? Um, some of you will have. There's this powerful um, part, for, to me anyway, at the end of the play where Tom is talking about how everyone goes to the movies. And he says, people go to the movies instead of moving. I'm tired of the movies and I am about to move. I remember reading that when I was a freshman in high school and thinking about my life and what I wanted from it. And that I didn't want to be a person who just went to movies, but I wanted to figure out what was the life that I wanted to lead. And so I shared that in connection to this because in the heartbeat of this letter that Paul has written to a church in Philippi, there's a new community of believers and he's encouraging them around what is at the heart of life. And for him, at the center and at the heart of it all is Jesus. It's the call to this new faith and the way that it animates us to live. To not just watch life go by, but to live with intentionality and to follow in the way of Jesus. So he accounts this throughout his letter that he pens to them. In the passage that we're sitting with today, which is from a part of that book, this is where he particularly takes on a few different themes. If you want, you can um, just listen along. You can, if you want to pull up the passage on your phone. Um, we also do have some copies of uh, the Bible translation that's in the back that we'll have out on Sundays. If you ever want to grab one, you can do that. But he starts off, he's talking about, um, he says, you know, whether from false motives are true, uh, I'm just happy that Christ has preached. Now, I remember that sometimes when I had heard this first opening part of, with verse 15, um, that it had been used to say to me, like, hey, if you have any concerns or issues with how someone else is showing up and being Christian, you just need to not say anything and you need to let it go. Okay. Now, I, I want to just offer up a few different wonderings conversationally with this text, uh, with Al-Anon, and then with the witness of the entirety of the rest of Scripture. Just for fun. So, um, first of all, when I come to this text and thinking about these verses, it brings up a question what does he think it means to say that what matters is Christ is preached? So, there's that sense of what is the content of what it means to say Christ be preached? And for him, we have some clues, and we have some clues from the Gospels about what it means to say that Christ is preached to name that here is the way of Jesus, that's what he's concerned about. He's like, hey, as long as the way of Jesus is proclaimed, not mine to worry about, okay? So on one hand, there's the general sort of ability to say, hey, let's wrestle with and talk about the content of Christ being preached. What's at the heart of it? What does Jesus call us to? How does Jesus engage with neighbors and with others? And that that can be a helpful kind of critique both for ourselves and then also looking at and being like, Really? That doesn't seem like Christ is being preached. So for instance, if we see Jesus continually coming alongside of people who are being 
about to be stoned, people who are suffering, people who are wounded, we have some clues that maybe us deciding to like wound the wounded is not really Christ being preached in a good way, right? So we have some clues that we can use from the witness of Jesus's life and the other letters and texts that can help to say, okay, what is the content of, what, of Christ being preached? So that's important. The second thing I want to wonder at is, I don't know Paul, never met the guy. He lived a long time ago, right? But I wonder at, as he's writing here in Philippians, part of what he's acknowledging is a two-sided thing. The one is, at the end of the day, whatever happens, none of us can change, save, fix, um, or really inf overly influence anyone else, right? And so that sense of, like, let God be God, and God's going to work in someone, and God can work with basically anything, right? Someone can intend something terribly, and you still might have uh, just an amazing opening that happens for you. So for Paul, it may be something like, you know, he's a little bit of a dominant and forceful personality. Maybe he was feeling challenged that in good Elanon or good understanding of yourself philosophy, God is God, I am not I, Paul, don't need to try to save the whole world and get rid of anyone who's preaching falsely. That's not my job. My job is to be authentic about what I'm called to preach and let go of the rest. So I don't know that. It's just a wonder. Um, because I think it's also important to name that we have clear witnesses throughout Scripture where there are a lot of prophets. And the prophets aren't all about just like, hey, here's the future. They're very much about saying, hey, this isn't okay. This isn't all right. So I just say that to say, I don't know how these opening verses uh, hit you as you read them. Um, maybe it's an encouragement of, hey, no matter how Christ is preached, great, that's cool. But I, I, what I don't want you to hear is that you need to live, leave your critical reflection or your concerns about either yourself or others proclaiming the name Jesus and doing terrible things in Jesus' name. So we can trust God as God, we can release our need to control, and we can also keep leaning into what is the question of what it means that Christ is preached, and then ourselves to take responsibility to live out that faith. So he goes from there, and he's like, basically, I don't care. The deal is, Christ is pre preached, that's great. And then he continues further in this passage, and he says, as we come to around verse 21, he says, for me to live means Christ, hence dying is so much gain. Okay, for him at the center of what he's naming to the Philippians is a sense, like I've already said, that all of life is rooted and grounded in Christ. The what are you going to do with your one beautiful and precious life? For him, this is grounded in what does this mean to know and follow the way of Jesus. And he continues after this passage into chapter two saying, hey, here's the content of what Jesus is about. So in, ver in chapter two, verses six, he challenges them that their attitudes should be the same as Jesus, who being in the image of God didn't deem equality with God something to be clung to, but instead became completely empty, took on the image of oppressed humankind, born into the human condition, and being found in human likeness, he was humbled, obediently accepting death, even death on a cross. Okay, so we have some, some signals here of when he's saying, for to me to live is Christ, it's about living the way of humility. It's about embodying the way of God in the world. It's about being willing to take that up 
It's about not thinking that we're above anyone else. And so he calls and invites and challenges the people in this way. And for him, he also is like, hey, living is Christ, but if I die, I get to be in the presence of God. And so for me, either way, like, this is good, but this is also gain. And he's naming that in this text as well. It's that sense for Paul that we also read about in 1 Corinthians 13, where it's like, now we see dimly, and one day we will see fully. We will be known fully. And so for him, that's part of what he is naming here. Now, in thinking about this passage and this letter to the Philippians, what he's calling them in so many ways to is to a way of life. That following Jesus isn't uh, just a set of doctrine or belief. Following Jesus isn't a new way of getting to decide who's in and who's out. Following Jesus doesn't make us God. Following Jesus is following the way of humility and the way of life and living it as the rhythm of our lives. And he's calling and inviting the people and then us as well to be intentional about walking that way of life. Now, some people might think that because I don't uh, do call forth altar calls as a part of my regular service, which will not be happening today, just in case I made any of you feel anxious, um, that I, that saying we need to live the way of Jesus, that calling us to live out love, to live the way of freedom, doesn't still have a fundamental depth and content. In fact, I actually think that it's more costly, right? It's easy to say, hey, I accepted Jesus once and now I'm good forever, <laughs> right? That's easy in a way. Like that one day when I married Andy Garbers 14 years ago on July 18th, uh, we've been good ever since then, totally cool. Never had to like talk to each other, work on the relationship. I don't love him more now than I did then, um, right? That's how it works. No, what Paul is saying is when we follow Jesus, this is the call to a way of life. And it's something that we keep walking in and walking in. So whether you are a person who can remember the first time that faith became alive and animated to you, whether you're a person who is like, I was born into the waters of Christian baptism and here I am, or whether you're like, someone twisted my arm and made me came, come today and I'm not totally sure that I'm happy about it, whatever, however that is, this invitation and this call has a content that it is a way of life that follows in the way of Jesus. And that our invitation and our task is to keep being transformed by walking in that way. By reading and being curious about the things and the aspects of who Jesus is and how did Jesus show up in the world. This way of life and the way of faith isn't something that is meant to just free us from having to care about the world or something that makes us assured that we have the right answers and we know more than everyone else. No, it's truly, it's a call to the way of humility, the way of giving our lives over in service and in love. And that is a whole life invitation and call to all of us. Some of you know that in my doctoral work, 
that I studied um, a lot of the theology of folks who had written about what did it mean to be Christian in the wake of the Shoah, the Holocaust. I turned to that work for a couple different reasons, and uh, if you've heard me talk about this before, um, thank you for your forbearance. Um, there are a few different reasons that I turn to it. The one is um, because I think their faith has always captured me, and I remember from when I was young not understanding how the Holocaust could happen. Like, how could humans be so inhumane to one another? The second reason is that in encountering some of their work, they were striving to take seriously what does it mean to be Christian when I am living in the ashes, literally, of a culture where Christians have made this evil possible. Okay. Because the majority of the church in Nazi Germany was complicit in what happened. And so here are these people who are saying, but no, that is not the way of Jesus. I want to hold on. Maybe you feel some resonance with this. I want to hold on to something because I think there's something important about Jesus as the embodiment of God's love on earth, that there's something about loving our neighbor and ourselves that I think is the content of this faith and it matters. I'm not going to let go, right? So they're wrestling with it, both trying to take up responsibility for the ways in which their faith has been harmful, but also trying to creatively say, I'm not letting go and there's something beautiful here. So the couple things that they critique that I think can be helpful in thinking about what Paul's talking about in Philippians. The one is that they challenge a privatized notion of faith that ceases to care for the neighbors. So when our faith becomes only about, like, I got my Jesus salvation, I'm good, too bad you're going to burn, that that's a problem. Because the way of Jesus calls us to live out our faith towards our neighbors at all times, that that is a dance that's continually a part of it. The other thing is that they take seriously the, take seriously the history and the rupture that has happened by Christianity being complicit. They confront it and they name it so that another world can be possible. And so they go to the texts of our tradition and they don't let go. They wrestle with it. And I hope that for us and for wherever you're at, whether, again, you're a person who's like wrestling and barely hanging on, whether this faith is something that has been shaping you for a long time, I hope that encountering the way of Jesus and being countered by the love of Jesus is something that you cling on to for yourself and say creatively, how do I want to walk in the way of Jesus in this world? How can we walk in the way of Jesus in this world that embodies and represents this kind of good news? How can we live into that and have it not just be a part of our lives or like, I'm a good Christian over here, but then there's the rest of my life. How does our faith become integral in the people we are and the way that we live out our faith in the world? in the way we wrestle with questions in our politics, in our relationships with our neighbors, and in all of our lives. The call to follow Jesus is the call to a way of life, and it's a call to life. So indeed, might we follow after Paul in his invitation to the Philippians and live as unto Christ. 
trusting that um, even as we don't fully know, well, one day we fully will be known.